Blog Talk Radio. The following is a disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host, guest, and callers, and are not necessarily those of the Roman Show Network, its management, or other advertisers. What if I told you it was all a lie, and right now, everything changes? It's time for the best wrestling show you're ever going to hear. Their stories, their passion, from the independence to the big time. We have it all. We are the most intense, in-your-face, break-it-down wrestling show you're ever going to hear. So are you ready? Because this ain't your mama's wrestling show. This is Reality Check Radio. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another great edition of the most real talk show on the net, Reality Check Radio. I am your host. Of course, George Alonzo, and I'm joined here with my fellow brother and sister. I'm talking about first starting with the conscience of Reality Check Radio. He loves pain, but surely he does have a great conscience. I'm talking about Rick Foley. Rick, how are you? I'm great, guys. How's everybody? This is going to be a fantastic show, and I can't, get, uh, can't wait to get this ball rolling tonight. No, yeah, definitely, and we'll definitely start talking about today's episode in just a bit. Of course, I'm also joined with our sister from another mister. I'm talking about the lollipop queen, Christina. Christina, how are you? Great. I thought you were going to forget about the lollipop queen part, but I'm glad you threw that in there. I am never going to forget the lollipop queen plug. Never. (laughs) So... But by all means, guys, welcome to another edition of Reality Check Radio, except that this is probably going to be one of our most emotional episodes of all time, uh, as today there's not going to be any jokes, there's not going to be any, uh, you know, plugs, there's not going to be any uh, Monday Night Raw talk, there's not going to be WWE Royal Rumble talk, because today is all in tribute to a man a father, a son of a plumber, a legend, a WWE Hall of Famer. I'm talking about the American dream, Dusty Rhodes, as we pay tribute to the life of Dusty. We're going to have some great friends of his come on the show in a little bit. Uh, basically, Mr. Bruce Owens, legendary NWA referee, uh, Mr. Howard Brody, uh, worked for, uh, for the NWA. He'll be joining us as well. And, of course, Mr. Paul Jones, who was introduced to the world of professional wrestling thanks to the American dream. So basically, guys, this is a show that is blessed by the Rhodes family, and we couldn't be more honored uh, to be representing the Rhodes family here tonight. And I have to go around the room already and start by asking this one question, guys. Rick, man, not to put you on blast here, my brother, but when it comes to Dusty and, and history in the world of professional wrestling, man, you grew up probably longest to know a lot of more history about Dusty than any of us three here combined. What is your most fond memory of the American dream? Oh, wow. I, I think that's, that's such a hard question because there's so much of it. Uh, it's obviously, I guess, uh, I guess the promos. You know, he, he was so good. 
uh, with the microphone in his hand. Matches, I mean, we can go on all day. The, you know, the, the rivalry with uh, with Ric Flair is teaming up with uh, with Dick Murdoch. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. The guy was just a, a trailblazer, and I think uh, the legacy that, that he left behind speaks to that. Man, like, if I have to say the most fond memory, of course, uh, I have for, for Dusty. And, and mind you, God bless both their, their hearts and their souls as, you know, they went off to another life now. But I'm talking about uh, the American Dream when he first introduced Sapphire into the world of WWE or WWF at that time. Uh, because that made, like, that made that, you know, that connection from WWF wrestler to fan, just so much more sweet in how Dusty would say, a little bit more sweet, you know, in 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 a way for professional wrestling. Because let's look at it now, like like that that wedge for professional wrestling and fans have grown a little bit bigger right now. But there were people like Mr. Rhodes, Mr. Dusty Rhodes, who who said forget the wedge forget the the fan uh, you know the whole separation between fan and worker let's let's be one because we're all in this together and when he introduced sapphire and made her uh his manager i felt like that that said you know what fans can be part of this business too not saying that you know it's a it's a hundred percent all the time that fans should be part of the business but it's kind of like hey let's be appreciative for what fans do for the world of professional wrestling so, Christina, what was your most fond memory of, of the American Dream? Well, I mean, I have a few. Dusty was very popular in my family. Um, there's rumors along in my family that my mom still tells to this day, and I'll probably have to ask her about it again, that apparently she had written a poem for Dusty and that he read it, uh, I guess, on air on TV. I'm not sure. I can only remember it be, like, the beginning of the poem, and it went something like, I am the man, the man of the hour, I'm as big as, like, the Titanic Tower, or something along the lines of that. But Dusty is a big part of our family. I mean, Dusty was at the very first ever live event I ever went to. I was 14. I was at the, the Bergeron Rodeo Grounds here in Davie, and he went up against Terry Funk in a hardcore cell match with Mick Foley as a special guest referee. And that was the very first wrestling show I had ever been to. So Dusty is definitely, you know, in there for me. Well, in in to kind of piggyback off that, now that you were mentioning like first time, you know, ever being at a wrestling show and Dusty being part of the show, one thing I think I could vouch for all of us in this room, Christina, is that when you would hear that American dream like that's it you had no choice but to stand up and start dancing because that to me i feel like that was the most hip theme song from back in the 1990s late 1980s for the wwf so again around the room rick when when you heard that um like the the theme song starting to blast whether it be on your tv or if you were at a live uh you know miami arena show or or wherever you will see dusty what what came into your mind when you heard that theme song blast oh yeah like you said it was just the it was just iconic you knew that it was coming and you mentioned sapphire if i'm not mistaken that was that of the uh 
the polka dots, no? The, the black and yellow polka dots? Yep. Yep. Correct. That comes into your mind right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, to me, just... <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you, Rick. I'm actually singing the, the American Dream song, uh, the Boogie Woogie, uh, uh, you know, in my in my head right now. I, I love that song. You know, it's like it, it, you can't help yourself but stand up and dance to that theme song. It's just uh, it, like it's a great tribute. You know, obviously WWE currently does that, you know, yearly with their Dusty Rose Tag Team Classic. But Christina, you know, and it's the theme song for the Tag Team Classic, too, even though it's kind of remixed. But, Christina, like, when you were hear that theme song, what would come in your your head? Like, would you want to start dancing, or, or did you just feel like this uh, amount of energy just flow through you when you hear that theme song blast? Yeah, just like, you know, I'd be in the house, even if I wasn't in front of the TV, if I was in another room. Like, I would hear it, and just automatically, just, like, joy. Like, just an intense feeling of just joy would just rush through. Just, like, as a little kid, you know? Like, not even fully understanding, like, what wrestling was at the time, because I was very young. But just, like, hearing it, like, I knew it was Dusty. I knew he was going to come out in his, you know, polka-dotted uh, outfit, and it was just going to be a good time. Oh, yeah. Like, again, uh, I, I loved... I, I couldn't help it. Let, let me just say something. I was that little kid that would be at the Miami Arena, and Dusty Rhodes was booked on that show. I, it's, he, 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 oh, God, there it is. <laughs> He's just a common man. Oh, yep, there it is. Don't mind me. I'm dancing. <laughs> I'm dancing over here. <laughs> the, you Listen, you can't help but dance to that. You really can't. But, uh, like, I was one of those guys at the Miami Arena. <laughs> uh, like, literally, I would never forget that Miami Arena show when I got to see Dusty live. And also at the Davey Berg- uh, Rodeo Arena uh, when Dusty was in a fatal four-way. I think it was the same event that you were at, uh, Christina. Uh, when you would hear that song and you couldn't help but be joyful. Like, I, in Miami Arena, uh, actually, uh, Dusty Rhodes went one-on-one against uh, the Canadian strongest man, Dino Bravo. And I, I was like, wow. Wow, this, this is energy. This is pure energy that you would sense when that man walked into any kind of arena, big or small, wherever he would wrestle at. So, Again, around the room, let's go ahead and ask ourselves, what was your favorite feud of the Dusty Rhodes era? Uh, Rick, who was your, you think in your, remember, there's no wrong answer to any of this. This is a pure tribute to Dusty Rhodes. So what was your favorite feud of the American dream? Oh, for me, it was Flair, hands down. Hands Rick down, Flair. Flair. Well, let me. Well, let me say for the record, isn't that where the most famous promo came out of? Absolutely. Yep. I slept with kings and queens and, and what, slipped on pork and beans? I, I'm yep. sorry if I'm I'm saying that wrong. I on pork and beans, yep. Yep. So that yep. you will never, as a matter of fact, any time you think Dusty, you think of that promo. 
But I mean, yeah, it's kind of, it's it's a really tough question too because there were so many. It's kind of like asking a parent who's your favorite child. There were so many. He had so many great feuds over the years. I mean, Tully Blanchard was a great feud. I mean, it's just there's so many, you know. Oh yeah, T- tell me about it. And, and Christina, what what was your favorite feud of all time when it came to the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes? I mean, I don't want to piggyback what Rick said. But I feel like there's no other answer than Ric Flair because I feel like it defined both of their their careers. Well, okay, that's fine. But I'm going to go ahead and, and, and pick an opposite. And I say my favorite feud of all time when it came to Dusty was his feud in the WWE against the Macho King, Randy Savage. And that was because the American Dream, once again, because, of course, during the time of his feud with Ric Flair, yes, he was standing up for the American people. He was standing up for the, the you know, the middle class American people that had dreams to become somebody. And, you know, by all means, everyone would ever, always remember that. But then years later, he would feud with the Macho King in the exact same situation where the Macho King was looking down upon all the fans as peasants, as these lower-class individuals, and here came the American Dream, again fighting for the middle-class or low-class, you know, uh, Americans. And basically, that is what Dusty stood up for. Dusty went for equality in everybody, whether it be high-class, middle-class, or low. He fought for everyone. He never labeled anyone anything but regular in his eyes. And that is what I remember when it comes to his feud against the Macho King. When the Macho King went against him, saying that everyone else is peasants. As a matter of fact, I still remember that I think he wanted to consider Sapphire like one of his peasants. They were disrespecting Sapphire. Uh, Of course, the Queen, Sherry Martell, you know, was also in this whole situation that made it even more emotional uh, driven. I thought it was a well, very, very well planned feud. And uh, I I loved it. I loved that whole Macho King feud. But no, I'm just saying like, it's, it's one of those, but like how you said, Rick, you said it right. When you said that there's so many great feuds, that Dusty's been part of. There's so many. And it's hard to just pick one. So we're, of course, going to be joined by, again, guys, if you're just tuning in, uh, we're going to be joined in by Mr. Howard Brody in just a bit, uh, Mr. Paul Jones, and, of course, Mr. Bruce Owens, NWA referee, uh, to let us inside some exclusive stories when it comes to Dusty Rhodes, these are stories that are not even heard of in the WWE. We are going to go very, very in-depth when it comes to the life of Dusty Rhodes as we celebrate his life reality check radio style. Uh, because as we all know, we don't do negativity here. We do pauses, positive. So we don't really want to know anything bad and Of course, there's nothing labeled bad with Dusty Rhodes anyway. So this is going to be a very, very, very emotional episode for all these three men as they were all very, very close to Dusty Rhodes. Now, 
I have to ask this, guys, because, again, we all know Dusty affected everyone in the wrestling world. In, if you had to describe in one way, guys, how Dusty affected you in your time as a wrestling fan, how would you say he affected you? Rick, how, how would you say he affected you in your life? I think mine's pretty easy. I remember I must have been probably, oh, nine or ten years old watching championship wrestling from Florida. And that's one of the first times I ever got to see Dusty Rhodes. And how could you not be anything but, but mesmerized by that, by that man? I, I don't know how. So he was really the first kind of wrestler that I, that I loved following as a child. Okay. You know, the stuff and with the stuff Christina, with Gordon, like the, the promos with Gordon Soley were just classic. Oh, who can forget Gordon Soley, man? Gordon Soley was the, the voice of professional wrestling. That's right. You know, that man paved so many ways for the people that we currently see on TV now that is ridiculous. It, 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 Gordon Soley, I don't think anyone can one up the late, great Gordon Soley when it comes to backstage interviews. And there you have it. At, at least in my opinion. In my nope. opinion. Nope. But, uh, uh, okay, even... so Chris... Go ahead, Rick. No, I said not even close. He he was he was it. They were both it. And I think they just worked so well with each other. Agreed. Now, Christina, in your opinion, like I know you said that Dusty was very close to your family uh, when it comes to, like, the the poem that your mom wrote uh, where he read on air and, and et cetera. Like, how how can you – what would you say? How How did Dusty affect your life? I mean, any time that he was on screen, like, you just – you could just you just couldn't do anything but enjoy it, and it's just like not even for his time as a wrestler, like an active competitor, but just even after and how influential he was to the business in general with taking new talent and building them up and believing in them and and giving the time to like sit them down and coach them and like you know he wasn't just like an influential like wrestler like active wrestler, but just throughout just being like a mentor to all of the younger generations and all of the younger generations that have been brought up, you know, like through NXT and through the developmental system and how he took them and shaped them and gave them the the confidence and the courage to go out there and be themselves and be these characters and how well that worked. Like that's what I will, because, you know, I'm obviously a little bit younger than the rest of you. So, you know, my influence mm-hmm. to Dusty is, you know, him bringing up through the younger generation and where they are now, like, through NXT and now being on the main roster and having lifelong careers now. Well, that is true. You you actually bring up a huge point there, but uh, which I'm going to go ahead and talk about in a few seconds. But basically, when it comes to Dusty and affecting my life, I, I like I mentioned a little earlier, when he fought for the middle class and the lower class, you know, people, I, I fought like, damn, I, should I, I should never judge anyone. You know, he helped so many people by giving them that, you know, influence to say never judge a person for how they look, 
for how much they earn, for how much they do this, for how much they do that. Because for a person like Dusty to look at everyone as equal, like no matter what class you were in, that kind of showed you how basically how you should live your life. Never judge a person for whatever be the reason that they're living or how much they earn or what they do in life. Because in the end of the day, we're all human. And that is what Dusty taught me throughout his career when he feuded with the greats like the Nature Boy Ric Flair, the Macho King Randy Savage, Tolly Blanchard, and the list goes on and on and on. When it, the Million Dollar Man, you know, that was a tough feud when it comes to, like, the whole middle class versus the higher class. But it, it, it was very, very you know, learning, it was a big learning experience is what I'm trying to say when it comes to the the American dream. So let's go, guys, I think we just first got our first guy here to uh, call in, uh, one of Dusty's good friends. Let's see who this is. It's Paul Jones. Hello. Hey, Paul, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. That is awesome. Well, Paul, welcome to Reality Check Radio. I know you, you, you have never done one of these before, like you and I have discussed, but this is one of those special occasions because, Dusty, if there was one person that ever affected you in your entire time in the world of professional wrestling, it was the late, great American dream, Dusty Rhodes. So thank you very, very much for taking this exception for joining us here tonight. Absolutely, Judge, and you're right. Dusty Rhodes uh, impacted my life in many, many ways, and uh, it, uh, it's a great show that you're having tonight to honor him. I really appreciate that. No, my pleasure. Let's go ahead and reach out to Mr. Bruce Owens because this roundtable is starting to fill up. I think Mr. Brody just called in. He's on hold. So let's go ahead and reach out to Mr. Bruce Owens here real quick. Then we're going to explain how this is going to work here Hello, tonight Bruce. before we could – Hey, Bruce, this is George from Reality Check Radio. You're on, on air. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good, good, Bruce. Good, good. So let's go ahead and open up this last line here. Of course, I'm talking about to Mr. Brody. Uh, Mr. Brody, are you there? I am here. Awesome. So the round table has been filled. <laughs> and uh, now that uh, I have all three of you on here, I just want to like sincerely thank you three for doing this exception i know you three are very 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 busy guys but you guys made this exception as dusty was very close to each and every one of you in your own very special way when it comes to the world of professional wrestling and even in a personal way so thank you very much all for joining us uh howard thank you very much for joining us sure who's who's the heavy breather on the line somebody's breathing real heavy into the telephone bruce is that you no, I'm in shape. It might be Paul Jones from that DDP yoga. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So, basically, let me go ahead and explain to you three gentlemen how, how this is going to work. Uh, basically, gentlemen, you three are in a roundtable discussion. Um, and basically, long story short, we're, us as hosts, me, Christina, and Rick are all going to personally ask one question each uh, that's going to be very general to, to speak on a, on a general story of the American dream. Each one of you are going to have turns to speak on that certain topic of the story. And then, of course, when one of you is done, the next one will take over and, and so on and so forth. 
So basically, guys, I want to start off by asking this. Howard, you could take the floor first uh, in this on this question. Howard, what sure. do you have to say has been your favorite road story with the American Dream Dusty Roads? Oh, wow. Well, actually, my favorite road story with Dusty, uh, there's, a couple, there's a couple of them, uh, and one of them actually involves Paul Jones. So how can I tell you that one? But I'll tell you the one where um, Dusty wanted me to go with him down to uh, – well, Dusty lived up in Marietta, the side of Atlanta in Marietta. And I was living in Charlotte at the time. We were working on his book. And Dusty asked me to take a ride with him to Pensacola so we could actually talk a lot about the book. And he was going to give me some stories. And, and I was going to take notes. And, and really, it was the first time I actually went on, a, on an overnight trip with Dusty. And we were driving through, like, the, you know, the back roads and everything. And what was really fascinating is every time we would we'd pass a wide-open field, Dusty started breaking into – song and he would start singing the theme song the Green Acres and, and he would just start singing the Green Acres song but when we made the first gas stop I realized that I had accidentally left my wallet in my dashboard of my car which was in Dusty's driveway <laughs> about 150 miles away Dusty what I was him, I didn't want to pay for anything like that. I didn't want to pay for gas or food or anything so he made my life miserable the entire weekend, told everybody, strangers and everything, and says, hey, you see this guy? This guy's a homeless guy. I picked him up, and I'm driving with him. He's got no money. Well, we get to this condo in Pensacola, and, Stones, and, and um, we're sleeping in two separate bedrooms, and Dusty closes the vents in his room, and he turns the air conditioner all the way down to like 50 degrees in the condo. <laughs> I am absolutely freezing. There's no hot water in this place. And Dusty pretends the next morning like he don't know what the hell I'm talking about and, and all this stuff. So he he, he, he rid me pretty well that weekend because he thought I was pulling a rib on him. He, he really thought I had the money on me and just was being like too cheap to pay any money. Um, but that, that's what he, he ended up doing that to me, and and I was so I was so cold. There was like no blankets in the room. I took an ice cold shower in the morning, and he's like, "Oh man, I had the greatest night's sleep and all this crap." And me, not so much. That's kind of one of my favorite <laughs> actually road stories with Dusty. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I listen, Howard. I know you personally. Uh, you know, I've been able to uh, work with you on a couple shows uh, when you ran Ring Warriors and and all that stuff. And, and you're a very, uh, you know, a humbled individual, very very professional individual. And I loved working with you when you did that stuff. But I, for some reason, I just laugh when someone like Dusty would say, "Oh, I'm with homeless guy over here." <laughs> I mean, that's hilarious. Dusty had a certain way about him. So, uh, look, I mean, <laughs> Paul and I have been on road trips together, and Bruce and I have been on road trips together. So, but, but I'm sure they can tell you some some good stuff as well. All right, so Paul, uh, now the 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 microphone is on to you now. Paul, what would be your favorite road story with the the American Dream? Uh, I I think it would also be uh, a trip I took with Howard. 
in Dusty when we released his book, we started out at uh, at High Spots where he had to sign a couple hundred books, and uh, and he complained every single book he had to sign. And then we went to some independent show, and I, God knows where it was, but we had to drive up a mountain. And at the time, Howard had this purple car, and Dusty was indignant that he had to get into this purple people eater, as he called it. And we're driving up the mountain, and I'm telling you, we are like less than a foot from falling off the mountain as we're driving around this round and round and round. And Dusty's getting so agitated, he starts putting his hand over Howard's eyes. So we're ready. I'm thinking we're going to die. I'm in the back seat. He's putting his hands over Howard's eyes. Howard's yelling, stop, stop. I'm going to fall off the, we're going to fall off the, the mountain. And then Dusty starts poking him in the belly when he takes it, uh, you know, off the thing. And this went on for hours. And we end up in a town. God knows a Howard, you may remember the name of the town, but we end up in a town and there's like six people in the audience. <laughs> and so again, <laughs> At, at, the, you know, at you know, the end of the match, we almost have a fist fight with a drunken midget. So, I mean, that was to me the most memorable uh, uh, road trip I had with Dusty. I thought we were going to die, and he just wouldn't stop ribbing Howard the entire way. <laughs> and again, the joke turns around on you, Howard. <laughs> yeah, no, it was hysterical because Dusty had this very dark sense of humor. And um, yeah, Bruce will probably tell you a couple of stories about that. But Dusty had this very dark sense of humor, and he knew, like, he'd sit there and he'd, he'd try to cover my eyes just to see, like, if I was panicked. And I'm like, swatting his hands away, and he starts poking me in the stomach to pulse it. And I'm laughing because I'm, like, trying not to <laughs> either fall off the mountain or crash into the oncoming traffic. It was, it was, pretty, <laughs> it was pretty crazy. You know, but uh, you know, looking back, it's like, what the fuck were we thinking? Oh, sorry, didn't mean to drop an F bomb. <laughs> no, but, but, no. But, you know, looking, looking back, very, very funny stuff. It's just, you know, just <laughs> And Howard, by the way, don't worry about cursing on the show. Uh, today is a tribute to to the American Dream, so we can all understand the excitement that you might have when it comes to, you know, speaking about a great friend that you had, both personally and, and professionally. So don't worry about cursing, man. This is a, a all-hands-in, uh, you know, tribute. Well, that's, that's so, and, and as you might know, Dusty had a very ribald language. He was a very uh, colorful speaker. Uh, not just the front <laughs> camera, but behind the camera as well. <laughs> well, now, Bruce, uh, the, the the attention turns to you now. What has to be one of your favorite road stories with the American Dream? Well, well, mine had to be the one where I was decided I'm going to ask him for a raise because I've got him captive in my car, and we're driving up the Florida Turnpike, and it's probably 20 miles an hour, and uh, this is over an hour. It's the weather so bad that nobody could fly, and yet I'm willing to drive in it. So I remember there was... Uh, um, Blackjack Mulligan and uh, Dick Murdoch in the car and I'm trying to figure a way that I'm going to tell Dusty that the car I've got's bigger, uses a lot of gas, the trips are longer and you know how do, how do I get something a little extra from uh, Dusty who's booking but at the same time Dusty's still got to take it to the office and get Eddie to bless it so so 
at the time I was a ring announcer, so uh, and refereeing, but I said, um, you know, hey, Dusty, you know, I got this car that's that's bigger and everything. It's burning a lot of gas, and the trips are longer, and we're hitting double towns and everything. And, you know, I, it, it didn't phase him. He just kept the music going on the radio, and he just says, hey, hey Blackjack, Bobby, he says, uh, somebody on the radio asking the disc jockey for a raise, you know? And um, so I'm like, you know, nothing happened. I just, you know, that was it. Like, he just totally ignored me. And I still had, like, you know, another 60, 70 miles till I got to the town, figuring that, you know, eventually he's going to say, hey, you know, let me see what I can do or something. And, you know, so he didn't he didn't do anything. So we leave the arena that night. And, you know, um, I remember that uh, Blackjack and um, and Dusty, they go into this lounge to buy a little bit of beverages for the ride and um you know this go in there with them and you know figure maybe i'll buy him the beer or something like that and maybe i can keep this conversation going about the race and um but at the time they both picked up a case of beer you know because we had murdoch with us and uh i never forget some guy in the bar come running into the lobby of the liquor store he goes mother of effer he goes it's Flapjack Mulligan and Rusty Dodes, you know? And um, so it was pretty crazy. But the, the long and short of it, uh, they never said anything about the raise, but probably about two weeks later I got a thicker envelope. And uh, I actually talked to Dusty about it the last time he was in uh, Miami when he let me referee. And and uh, I said, what did you ever tell Eddie to get me a raise, you know, because I wasn't doing anything special. He goes, oh, I just told him you were out there for more matches, you know. So Eddie was a little confused by it, and, and he was thinking I was refereeing, and really I was just an announcer at the time. So so um, one way or another, Dusty got me taken care of. But, uh, you know, you had to kind of be there to appreciate it. No, yeah, that, that that does sound like a very, very appreciative, you know, story. And and that's what I was talking about when I said a little earlier that Dusty not just took, looked at every, like Dusty looked at everyone as basically as the same, as equals, whether you were high class, middle class, or low class. He fought for the American people, and and basically that kind of resembles to what I was talking about a little earlier, Bruce. But now, uh, Christina, the, the next question uh, for the roundtable discussion goes to you. Go ahead, Christina. Well, first of all, I want to go out and saying thank all three of you guys for coming on the show to pay tribute to such a legend in our business like that. But like you guys were saying, how like big of a personality Dusty is and how, how colorful he is. Can you guys recall your very first impression upon meeting Dusty? You want me to go first, or who you want to go first? Uh, Paul, you go first. Well, I, I was a fan, um, and I think it was probably in the 70s, and Dusty came to Boston when his uh, famous feud with superstar Billy Graham, and he billed himself as the son of a plumber, and I was a son of an electrician. And at the time, I was competitive uh, in judo, and I was going a couple months uh, – in the future, I was going to be fighting for the national championship. And here was this guy who was a common man that told me, and I was a poor kid and grew up in an Irish ghetto, son of an electrician, that I could be a world champion. And he made me believe. And so from that night, I was a Dusty Rhodes fan. And we did not get 
Florida Championship Wrestling in Boston. We didn't get Turner Broadcasting. So uh, I became a fan from that night on when he defeated superstar Billy Graham with a dusty finish in the Boston Gardens. And then fast forward a few years later, they had a slamboree in Atlanta. And at that slamboree, I had paid uh, a bribe to somebody that was given the tickets out to sit with Dusty Rhodes and Dick Murdoch. And that's where I first got to know Dusty as just a person and, uh, and just a casual thing where I would call him every now and then. And he was very gracious and, 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 and very uh, nice. I, if I fast forward about a couple more years after that, Dusty was in between jobs and, uh, you know, I contacted him and said, hey, we need to get you a website and, and we need you to sell your gimmicks. And uh, he said, well, how do you do that? So I had programmed his website. I had someone program his website. And we started selling some of his gimmicks and, and things like that on the website. And I said, you know, Dream, we need to get you into motivational speaking. Because, you know, I was with a company at the time, Limited Brands, which was the parent company of Victoria's Secret. And we were paying all this money for these people that were supposed to be motivational speakers but couldn't, couldn't really motivate a group. So I started a, uh, a thing with Dusty where we had him come in and do motivational speaking for retailers around the country. And, uh, and that's when our relationship kind of went to the next level and you get to learn really who is Dusty Rhodes. And, and from there, uh, I had the great pleasure of meeting his children and uh, at one point had uh, Cody work with me at Limited Brands as an organized crime investigator, believe it or not, before he pursued uh, his career in wrestling. So that's, that's really how my relationship with Dusty uh, went. And he's authentic. Uh, he, he kept his friend circle very small. Uh, but he really cared about the people that uh, he chose to, you know, interact with. Yeah, that is definitely one thing that anyone can say about Dusty was how unbelievably caring and, and passionate he was, not only about the business, but about the people and the friends he made along the way. So, Howard, obviously same question. What was your very first impression upon meeting Dusty? My very first impression, I thought he was the biggest asshole I had ever met in the world. And he and I <laughs> for a really long time when I, when I re- recollected back to him when, when we first had, first had met. Um, the first time I ever saw him up, up close was at the back of the West Palm Beach Auditorium. Actually, Bruce was refereeing that night, and Dusty was the booker, and Dusty would come out before the show, and he would kind of eyeball – he would kind of eyeball the crowd, and I remember telling Dusty this story, and he starts laughing. Dusty comes out, and I'm standing right by the entrance where the guys would come out, uh, and I was with a guy by the name of Craig Cohn, and, and Bruce is, of course, running finishes back and forth between dressing rooms, and there was another guy by the name of Dana Taylor who was actually doing ring announcing that night. Dusty comes out and eyeballs the crowd to see, you know, see how the crowd was. And um, I sat there, and I go, hey, Dusty, how are you? And he looks right at me doesn't say a damn word, turns around and goes back inside, completely ignored me. Now, at the time, I was actually working for the magazines. I wasn't just a fan. So I was actually shooting photos at ringside that night. He, like, completely kayfabes me. Um, A fan comes up and says, is Dusty Rose eating? And he says this to Craig Cohen. Craig's like, what? He goes, is Dusty Rose eating? He must be eating. That's how I come he's so fat. (laughs) (laughs) I remember telling Dusty his story years later, and he becomes, and he started laughing. He says, no, nah, that didn't really happen. I go, yeah, yeah, it did. 
So the first night actually um, had any business to do with Dusty. Um, they had a group called the PWF. This was after um, the Florida Territory was sold to um, Jim Crockett. And um, uh, actually, it was right before that, excuse me. No, no, the Florida Territory had been sold. They closed up Florida. And then Dusty and the, and the guy by the name of Wayne Coulter, um, actually it was um, uh, Gordon Soley, Steve Kern, and Mike Graham, reopened the Florida office. And then they sold out to a guy by the name of Wayne Coulter, and then Dusty came in and was partners with them. Uh, and they were running a show at the Knight Center. I already was friends with Gordon, and Gordon called me up and asked me if I could do some promos for them in the afternoon. Bruce, I don't know if you worked that show that night. That was the night um, Dusty worked against Terry Funk. It was also the first night I got to meet Luna Vachon and uh, Penelope Paradise. Um, uh, Craig Cohen and I were putting a thing called the Wild Women of Wrestling together at the time. Anyway, uh, Gordon asked me to help with some promos. So I made a whole bunch of phone calls. I got, I got Dusty on a whole bunch of radio shows. Gordon tells me to go down to the Knight Center and to see Dusty. And, uh, and there was another guy by the name of Randy Roberts who was like Dusty's front man. Um, anyway, I'm sitting there. I'm all pumped up. I'm finally get to see Dusty. You know, uh, um, he wanted to thank me. That's the story that Gordon told me, that Dusty personally wanted to thank me for getting him on all these radio stations. So I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And Dusty finally comes out of the dressing room area and comes up. Uh, the dressing room was like one floor below. I think it was like on the third floor. And the arena was on the fourth floor of the night center. And he comes up out of the staircase and I'm like waiting for him to say something, and he walks right by me and doesn't say a damn thing. And it was the second time he completely stiffed me. And I remember going to Randy Roberts, yeah. and I thought somebody wanted to say something to me. And he says, like, oh, no, well, he's really busy, you know, with the show and all this other stuff. And I called Gordon, and I ripped Gordon, like, I ripped into Gordon. It's like, well, the last time I ever do something to that fat FOB, SOB, and all this stuff. And, uh, Again, later on when I became friends with Dusty, I told him that story. He, again, he didn't believe it, but that, that was typical Dusty. That's the way he was. He was kind of a larger-than-life guy. So I had thought that he was a complete asshole. When I, first, when I actually got to know him, though, he was this greatest guy in the world. When he was your friend, he was very, very loyal, and he always stuck by you, and he always, and he always stuck by his people. That was the one thing about, about Dusty. If Dusty liked you or Dusty loved you, he loved you for good, and that was it, unless you would have crossed him. But he always stood by his people. Once, once, he, once he got to know you and warmed up to you, he was like the best. <laughs> it just seems like either Dusty is like really loyal to you or he'll just flat out ignore you. Uh, Bruce, do you have any uh, similar experiences with Dusty just flat out ignoring you? Not really. I always just told Dusty to kayfabe Howard, and you know, I guess he did. You know, um, no, you know, I, I I always got along good with Dusty. I'd say Howard's the only one that doesn't get along with him. You know, um, no, actually, you know, I was fortunate. I got into business, you know, when I was like 18 and stuff, hauling the guys, and then being a timekeeper, announcer, and different things. So, you know, Dusty, my the, one of the first times I saw him perform was him and. Um, Dick Murdoch at the Miami Beach Auditorium, and this was in the late 60s. And, you know, I was just hooked that this big guy could throw drop kicks, him and Murdoch. 
And, um, you know, years later, I'm in the office and stuff, and, and you know, Eddie said, hey, you know, Bruce will make sure you get to the arenas, this, that, and different places. But, you know, I was always lucky because I, I got into business pretty quick despite the kayfabe error, and, and some of that that Howard experienced was really the real kayfabe. You know, Dusty'd be busy and not know who everybody was, but if anything, he was going to protect the business versus drop the business on anybody. So, you know, um, it, it was a pretty secret society back then. Once you're in, you're in. But when you're trying to get in or even if there's any suspicion that you don't know who Fabe is or you can't talk Kiazarni and uh, stuff, um, you know, we kept everybody on the outside and, and that's the, because everybody was making a living at it back then. So we, we kept things secure. But, you know, I spent a couple nights um, a week with Dusty, you know, going to the arenas and stuff back and forth. Mondays was usually Palm Beach or Fort Pierce and Tuesday was Tampa. I'd fly up, but sometimes Dusty or Briscoe would pick me up. And then Wednesday was Miami and Friday was either Fort Lauderdale Armory or Sunrise or um, you know, one of the buildings down here, and then sometimes Friday, Saturday, the Bahamas, you know. So um, I didn't have to go through that. But, you know, at the same time, we respected photographers that were doing things for the business. But at the same time, you know, only people like it back then, Bill After and uh, some of the main names were really kind of smartened up to a little of what we were going to do, you know. If we're going to do a title change or something, we might tell them you want to stay on that side of the ring all night. And they knew that something hot on the finish would happen. But, uh, you know, Dusty, to everyone's point is when Dusty, um, when you're in with Dusty, you're in. If you're not in, you'll never get in. And if you're out, that's a really bad position to be in because Dusty can make your life miserable in every state and every country on the earth, you know. But he was a very generous man, and, you know, people spoke about his humble beginnings. I mean, I grew up uh, pretty poor in Ialea, and, uh, you know, uh, Dusty knew I didn't have anything, but he knew I knew how to keep my mouth shut and protect the business. So that was pretty much my in the door, and that along with Eddie Graham. Just hearing these stories of, like, of all these stories about Dusty and, you know, first meeting him and the relationship you grew with him is just such, like, a testament to who he was, not only in the ring but outside of the ring and how how close he felt with his, his friends and his family and and just, just a true testament to who he was as a person. Uh, but uh, I'm going to throw it off to Rick so he can ask you a question since I don't want to take up all the, all the time. Good evening, gentlemen. It's an honor to speak to all hey, of you. How are you tonight? Are you? Good, good, good. Thank you. I was just wondering uh, if Dusty was a, a practical joker, and if so, what, any interesting stories of jokes he may have oh, told behind the curtain? Boy. <laughs> yeah, who do you want to go first on this one? Uh, how about Howard? Okay. Actually, aside from, aside from the rib that he pulled on me with putting the air conditioner all the way down. Yep. Um, the greatest rib I ever heard him pull was actually pulled on Terry Taylor. And Dusty didn't tell me the story. Interestingly enough, Terry Taylor did. Well, Terry, like a lot of guys, does a imitation of Dusty. And um, at the time, Dusty was booking um, for Turner. And Terry Taylor was, you know, one of the talent on there. Now, he had worked for um, Bill Watts. 
And when Crockett bought the UWF territory, a lot of the guys who were working there were now under the um, uh, Jim Crockett Promotions banner. So they're on some airplane, and Dusty has a set of headphones on like a Walkman, and he's listening to his Walkman. And Terry Taylor ends up sitting next to him on the airplane. And while Dusty's, like, reading some notes and he's writing some stuff down, he's listening with the headsets on, Terry Taylor figures he doesn't hear him. So he starts talking like Dusty. And he's like, oh, baby, daddy, bubba. You know, he's getting into this whole rap. And Dusty stops, takes one of the, takes one of the earphones off and says, you say something? And Terry's like, no, sir. The, you know, just kind of, just kind of talking out loud and thinking to myself, it's like, oh, okay. And Dusty puts the headset back on, and he starts writing. And Terry's like, Dusty, you hear me? And Dusty doesn't respond. And he starts going into the whole Dusty invitation. And some of the guys that are sitting around him kind of laughing. And Dusty stops and takes his headphones out. He goes, are you, he goes, are you sure you're not talking to me? And Terry's like, no, sir, not, not talking at all, you know. So this goes on a, a couple of times, and, and now that's it. Now, Terry Taylor was never one of Dusty's guys, and he basically, you know, really didn't use him to his full potential. Years later, now we're talking about like 15 years later, Dusty is in charge of uh, TNA, and Terry Taylor is one of the producers at TNA. They actually were now sitting next to each other uh, in a meeting, and, you know, it was just the two of them. And Terry says to Dusty, he goes, he goes you know, Dusty, he goes, i, I got to ask you. He says, for years and years I've been wondering, you know, I was a really good hand in the ring. Why is it I never got that opportunity with you? Why was it I never got that opportunity with you? And Dusty looks up and he says, the, the earphones were never on. And Terry looks at him. <laughs> And he realizes exactly what he was talking about when he was making fun of Dusty. And Dusty was the boss. Dusty was, Dusty was basically playing the Hulk Hogan I'm on the phone game. If, I don't know if you've ever flown with Hogan, but he, he gets off an airplane. He immediately puts the telephone up to his ear like he's on the telephone so nobody bothers him at the airport. Dusty was never listening to music. He just had the things over his ear so people wouldn't bother him so he could do his work. So when Terry Taylor was making fun of him, Dusty heard every single word. When Dusty said that to him, Terry said to him, he goes, you know, he says, if I was in your position, I would have done the same thing. I was being an asshole, and I didn't deserve, I didn't deserve the spot at the time. And that's a true story. So it was kind of a rib, kind of a little bit of a mean thing, because it had to do with the guy's career. But still, it was uh, kind of a rib nevertheless. Well, that's a great story. How about how about you, Mr. Jones? The uh, Dusty's rib. Well, I'll tell you a story Dusty told. And now, as those that know him knows, he can tell a story. So whether it's true or not, um, I used to do security with him, kind of his personal posse security. It would be myself, Tilly Tilquist, Bruno Sassi, and Ray Glacier, uh, Ray Lloyd. Um, and we would sit in his, uh, they would have a, a camper on site at TNA after he did the pay-per-views. And one night he started telling Dusty was holding court with uh, Red River Pete was there, who was the head of photographers. And, uh, 
and Jeff Jarrett was there at the time, and he started telling a story about putting a rib on Dick Murdoch. And he started telling the story about Victor the Wrestling Bear, that Dick Murdoch got selected to wrestle Victor the Wrestling Bear that night, and Murdoch didn't want to do it. Now, Murdoch is, by, you know, by all accounts, one of Dusty's best friends. In fact, those that know the story, Dusty never went, Dusty didn't go to funerals or wakes. And he kept Dick Murdoch's number in his phone uh, forever because he never wanted to acknowledge that he was gone. But he decided to pull a rib on Dick Murdoch and get the wrestling bear a bunch of X-lax before the fight. So they started getting the bear, you know, filled with X-lax. And then uh, Murdoch was on, I think it was the last match. And uh, the bear gets out there, he starts fighting Murdoch, and the bear starts crapping all over the ring. And before you know it, Murdoch's looking right back, screaming at Dusty. And I think Terry Funk was the guy Dusty said was there. And the beer was all over Murdoch, rolling them all in that stuff as the whole match went on. And that's a type of ribs that that's one of many that Dusty talked about. But that was one that was always memorable to me. And the night he told it, uh, when we were sitting in this trailer, I mean, I, I, I had to tell you, I, I don't think I've ever laughed so hard. Um, so that, that, that to me was a great rib. That's awesome. What about you, Bruce? Well, well, mine's a little different. It's a rib on some dignitaries. So, um, we're, this was after Miami Beach, and uh, the guys were flying on Eddie's plane out back to Tampa. And there's some dignitaries from Aruba and Jamaica, and they've got this Citation jet there. And, of course, we found out who, who's on it because there's some security around it. And Eddie's... Uh, airplane is twin engine is parked on the other side of this citation jet so this is scott casey still alive so he'll probably kick my ass if he ever hears me tell the story but scott casey and dusty they sit there and say all right hang on to our clothes and just get them to us okay now dusty and scott casey all they're wearing is a cowboy hat boots cowboy boots and they got their bags on their shoulder. And this little facility, Butler Aviation, there's all these dignitaries in there that are fixing to fly on this Citation jet to Jamaica and Aruba. And Dusty and Scott Casey, and there was a third person, I just can't remember who it was, goes walking in the lobby like nothing. Says, hey, how's it going? And walking right past them, you know, no underwear, nothing, just just walking through. And they walk right past this Citation jet. And they get into the airplane. Well, that night, you know, I'd had a few beers, and they're telling me to throw the clothes over. And, you know, um, I remember that I took longer than I should have to get the uh, clothes back over to Dusty and and Scott Casey because by now somebody had called the Port Authority and the little trucks with the flashing lights at Miami Airport are coming, you know. So uh, they've got the airplane door closed up on Eddie's airplane. And finally I take this stuff out there. So, you know, I thought it was funny, but, you know, Dusty really, it was funny for the people. But um, I never forget it was like for two or three weeks I had the thinnest envelope in the territory. I mean, I was working, and I think I, I was getting, like, concession money or something, you know. I mean, he just he just tore me up at the office. I don't know who was getting my extra money, but uh, I got some really bad envelopes. I mean, like, I'm going to Orlando and different towns, and 
I think back then I was getting like $10 or something, trust me. That was a long time ago, but still $10 was $10. It wasn't much. But um, if you could have seen the look on these people and, and, you know, the people that knew us because we flew in there uh, every week, they knew we were all a little crazy anyways, but they didn't expect this, you know. And uh, so that was pretty crazy. And uh, I don't think anybody's ever topped them for that one. And this is before Michelle, so, uh, you know, Dusty can't get in any trouble with Michelle if she hears about this story. But uh, this was before he married Michelle. Wow, fantastic, fantastic stories. One final question from me. Uh, it's a little little sad and it's a combination question. Uh, the day Dusty passed away, we were headed up to Tampa for the fundraiser they were having at the Armory. So I was wondering uh, your all's thoughts uh, on when he passed away and any any fond memories of the Armory. Chris first. first. Okay. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, for me, the Armory was just a magical building. I mean, there's nothing like the Tampa Armory. I mean, that thing would sell out, uh, and then they would do the golden handshake with the fire marshal. He'd get something, and then uh, they'd come back and start selling tickets again. But that building was just magical. Anybody, and Howard ran and promoted in there, but anybody that ever attended that building um, as a fan will remember it, but you talk to workers all over that have worked through Florida, and Tuesday nights, one, on Tuesday nights that building would get sold out. Um, paydays were great. Um, but that building was magical. I mean, they ran billboards. I remember Gary Hart, the feuds were so hot with Pac Song and Gary Hart. They were running billboards for wrestling on the highways. That's how big wrestling was at that building. And, you know, when Dusty passed, you know, I was, you know, lucky that a few, I guess it was two months before that, they had wrestling in, in my hometown. And uh, I was I went to talk to Dusty and Michelle for about two hours, and Dusty asked me if I had my gear. And I said, you know, you told me to always carry it. And he said, you want to do the main event? And um, it was an NXT show or something. But Dusty let me do the main event in my hometown. And um, so that was my memory. Like when I first heard he passed away, I, I just thought of, you know, wow, the last time I saw him, man, he made it right. He, he put me in the main event in my hometown. And um, there was just something special about that. And, you know, Dusty was so good to me. Good people, when they die, they don't die. They just they just go somewhere else. And uh, Dusty's still with us. That's excellent story, Bruce. Uh, Mr. Brody? Oh, wow. Um, well, look, I, I think um, I'll, I'll give my thoughts on the armory first here. Um, yeah, Bruce is correct. And, uh 2000 and 2001, um, under the NWA banner, I promoted shows at the uh, Fort Homer W. Hesterly Armory on on Howard Avenue, and uh, it it was a phenomenal building. Even even when we ran it, um, the you know the the history of that building, not just from wrestling, but uh, the Pope had been there, Elvis Presley had been there. Um, it had this really magical aura about it. And um, the, the last show that was run there was actually in August 2001. Um, we were supposed to run in September. Um, on September 18th, we were actually supposed to run um, of that year. And unfortunately, on September 11th, 
the tragedies the, the Tuesday before. We were actually ran on Tuesday nights, um, you know, when it closed down. But what, during the run there is when I kind of got really friendly with Dusty because uh, Dusty was running um, a group called Turnbuckle um, Championship Wrestling, and he and I kind of formed a friendship during that time of 2000 and 2001. And um, I used to always ask him to come in and be part of the shows, and he refused. It was like, and because in his head it was his building, and he used to tell me he says he goes, I'll just wait for you to go out of business, and I'll I'll run my own shows there, right? And but he would send me guys, like he would send me guys from the TCW roster to come down and work the show. He just wouldn't come himself. When we finally made the arrangements for him to come down, that's when they closed the building, you know. So we we never were able to run again after the August show. Um, because of the events of 9-11. And um, so when uh, – and, and wrestling had been banned from that building for about 15 years, um, something to do with the Nasty Boys had done something in that building and basically got wrestling banned from it. Uh, and I had to go to Tallahassee and speak to one of the generals to actually get the building open back up. Uh, when, you know, I heard about Dusty, you know, my heart sank. You know, um, Dusty was a very important person to me um, personally and professionally. You know, if if um, when Dusty was writing, getting ready to write his autobiography, um, it was up. It was a, basically a toss up between me and Alex Marvez to write to to be his co-writer, and I called Alex and I just said to Alex, Alex, I want this you know you already written a book this is important to me and alex basically stepped away from the project to allow me to do it with dusty if dusty didn't allow me to do that book i would have never been able to produce my book um you know so i am very very grateful very thankful you know to him for allowing me to do that um as probably for the year or so that we worked together on his book. I probably knew him better than anybody on the planet. Um, if not for Dusty, Paul Jones and I would not be as close friends as we are. Dusty introduced us. Um, we were part of his posse, as he used to call it. Um, and, you know, so when I heard about his passing, um, you know, I, I also knew that he was not very big on funerals and wakes like Paul said he he did not go to them himself I spoke to the family I explained to the family and you know they basically said hey there's no need to come in this is something that the kids wanted for themselves really um because Dusty just he didn't like to go to them um but it it, it probably was the hardest you know I, I've had a series of mentors personally in the business you know, Larry Malenko, great Malenko. Larry Simon was my first mentor in the business. Gordon Soli was like my second mentor in the business. Hiro Matsuda was my, my business mentor in the wrestling business. And Dusty was kind of like the guy who kind of showed me a whole different side of the business from a real creative perspective and understanding how a booker is supposed to think 
and you know the way he reacts and the way he would carry himself and 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 the way you know just he how he would present himself to the higher ups. And I also will never forget the fact Dusty did did something for me. A lot of people do not know this, but Dusty went to Dixie Carter and tried to get me a job at TNA. And for about a month, I actually worked with them on trying to get them some corporate sponsors for their very early television before the, uh, this is when they were still on the Fox network. Um, so I was wow. very grateful for, for, for Dusty to try to get me a job and introduce me to Dixie Carter. And when he went to WWE, he attempted to get me a job there. I was not qualified for the position that I wanted, but still he, he made the effort to try to do something for me because of that loyalty factor that we talked about earlier. That when you were when you were one of his guys, you were one of his guys from beginning to end, period. And you know, you, you could if you spoke to Dallas Diamond Page, DDP will tell you without Dusty Rhodes, there's no DDP. You know, it's it's wow. Dusty had a great influence on the business, on two generations of the business, and right now his his impact is still being felt. With all these guys from NXT that were considered Dusty's kids, that he helped them with promos and he helped them in, in understanding a whole different side of the business at the uh, NXT, um, you, you know, um, um, Performance Center, uh, WWE Performance Center in, in Orlando. Also, Dusty had a very large influence on the people there. So, you know, for me, um, it, you know, it was a very sad day. Um, Every once in a while, I get pretty emotional about it because um, so, he meant so much to me, like I said, on both the personal and professional level. So, yeah, I, don't think, wherever you, I don't think there's any doubt that Dusty's footprint is definitely all over NXT. There's no question about that. Uh, Bishop Jones, what about you? Yeah, I, I, look, I grew up in Boston, so I hadn't had the pleasure of being in the Tampa Armory and uh, getting to see the dream when he was at the height of his popularity. But we had a thing called Wrestle Reunion in Tampa probably 10, 12 years ago. And Dusty asked me to come down and, and hang out. And uh, I think there was a TNA event sometime around then. And I said, Dream, if I'm going to be here, you've got you to gotta drive me to this armory thing that I've heard all about. And I need a picture in front of it. Uh, and we were on our way out for Cuban food. And Tampa is a very special city to him. He loves it. And uh, and he brought me to the armory. We get out there and pose for a picture. By the way, which he hated to do. He hated pictures and he hated to to do that. You know, uh, if he didn't have to. But he knew that it was important to me to be in front of that armory and hear the stories about it. And then we went to Cuban food and took us out for uh, uh, cigars afterwards, which Dusty enjoyed, and just told stories about the armory and all the funny things that happened uh, in that building. His best memories of it. Um, one of the things, the night Dusty passed, I mean, those that know Dusty, I, I think that everyone would tell you that he was probably the best family person of anyone I know. And if he was a mentor to me in anything, it was how to be a good dad. Um, he cared so much about his family, Michelle and the kids, and he definitely uh, made sure that they were the important things in his life. Uh, and secondly, he'd like to be on the marquee at Madison Square Garden, but the family was uh, the thing that drove Dusty and that he never wavered in, uh, on that. The night of his passing, when I, I got a call from 
it may have been Double J uh, or Howard, but whoever it was, I was on the phone all night with people. And one of the things that that resonates with me is Kevin Sullivan calling me, asking for Michelle's number, and absolutely broken down in tears. Um, And I don't think I've cried that hard in forever. Uh, And Kevin and I shared stories, and and, and, uh, it just was a rough week. Um, But, you know, I remember Dusty telling me about Dick Murdoch and never, never deleting his number, and I've never deleted Dusty's number from my phone. In fact, on my ringtone is his his entrance from TNA, uh, Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy. Um, and every time that comes on, I get a, a little smile knowing that the dream is watching over everyone and making sure that uh, the people are doing well. Wow, that's a, those are just fantastic stories. I just have one quick yeah. personal note before I hand over back to George. Bruce mentioned uh, the uh, the show down here in Miami. Funny story. My son, who Bruce knows very well, uh, is now going to be 15 and he wants to be a professional wrestler. He got into wrestling very late, probably about four years ago. So we got the opportunity to meet Dusty, and he could not have been any nicer. Uh, Just very, very gracious. Fortunate to have a picture of my son with Dusty. I grew up in the, you know, watching championship wrestling from Florida in the the mid-70s. I was probably 10 years old. So Dusty was definitely my first hero in wrestling, so just for, for my son to be able to have a moment with Dusty Rhodes and have a picture and an autograph with something I'll, I'll never forget. And video. It's just, it's just, it was just such a special moment for a kid who didn't know Dusty Rhodes from, you know, from a hole in the wall. So I just thought that, for me, that was really a kind of a cool personal story. I thank you guys for your time and for your stories, and I'm going to hand it back to George. Thank you, Rick. Um... I have no idea how I could even top. You know how they say in in the professional wrestling world, how can you top that last match? I have no idea how I could top these last two (laughs) segments with Rick and you guys. Uh, But basically, I guess my question is going to be the closing statement. So uh, I'm going to leave it at my closing statement. Uh, I don't know if Christina has another one. Uh, Christina, do you have another question from the round table? Uh, Yeah, actually. If you want me to go first, or you go first, either way. Uh, no, yeah, you can go ahead first. Because... All right, so final question being, uh, you know, Dusty was such a legendary character, and, you know, even after his passing, his legacy will still go on. What is the one thing that you guys will take away like learning from Dusty or just being around Dusty? Like what is one thing that will always be with you? You know, maybe a quote or something he said or an action, but what is, what is the biggest takeaway from the life of Dusty Rose? And uh, Howard, you can, you can go first on this one. Oh boy. Um, you know, Dusty always, he was always a man who walked into a room, commanded, basically he took over the room. He, he, like, commanded that respect. And I think the biggest takeaway is the people that be in the business, when you walk into the room, walk in like you own it. And if you walk in like you own it, people will, you know, it, it, even though respect has to be earned, but people will kind of respect you for that. And, and you have to do it in a very non-arrogant way. Um, I think that's a big takeaway business-wise. Um, 
you know, the, the other thing I, I think is takeaway is, and this is kind of resonates for people, especially on the indies that are listening. I'm talking about the indie workers now. Is Dusty recognized? You know, Paul talked about how he was a family man, and Dusty became a family man during his second marriage, during his marriage to Michelle, because he recognized that he was not the greatest father in the world to Dustin when Dustin was a young boy, Um, which is why the relationship that Dusty and Dustin had in the end of, you know, and more recently was so important to Dusty because he had made up for a lot of that lost time. And I think the biggest takeaway is never put the business, ever put the business in front of your family. And too many people do that. Too many people put the business in front of their family. And I think uh, if Dusty was around today, he would always say family comes first, wrestling comes second. You know, for, for those of you who are making your living in it. So I think that's the biggest takeaway is... Family first. So, for me, uh, <laughs> I recall a situation with Dusty. We were in New York City, and, and New York City was very near and dear to his heart. Even though we spent the minority of his career with WWE or WWF at the time, he had a special place for Madison Square Garden in New York. And uh, we were both kind of down. And I said, Dream, where do you want to go to eat? He said, I want to go to Gallagher's Steakhouse. I said, what the heck is Gallagher's Steakhouse? He goes, that's where we used to go and all the sports writers would be there. And they would start putting out all the uh, press on the Dream whenever I was in town. I go, all right, it's Gallagher's we're off to. So I was having a rough patch in my, uh, in my professional life. And I go, how do you get through these rough patches, Dusty? And he goes, Polly J, I wake up every morning. I get in front of the mirror. And I see an absolute perfect 10. I'm a perfect body. I'm a perfect smile. I'm a movie star. I'm the world champion. And that's my, that's my message to me every day. You need to get up tomorrow. You need to look in that mirror. And you need to say you are a movie star. And, you know, I'm trying to put this now into my own career. But he did a lot of convincing of me that you have to think about yourself at the highest level. And, and, and even if you're on your uh, rock bottom, you need to think and believe in yourself before anyone else can believe in you. So that night we left Gallagher's Steakhouse. And like I said, we were both a little down. I think it was right after he left TNA. And we go one block, and all of a sudden I hear this screeching with the brakes locking up in a, a New York Police Department uh, paddy wagon. And they back up real fast, and Dream and I are looking like, you know, what's going on here? And the two cops run out and say, Dusty Rhodes, the American dream. Can we get a picture with you? And he lit up. His smile was as big as Broadway. Um, and it just got me to say, you know what? You have to think of yourself the way you want people to see you. And I've always remembered that when I've had low points in my life because Dusty never wavered from that. I, I, I'm sorry for interrupting the stories here. Uh, Bruce, I know you're next, but I, I I have to share, man. I'm getting emotional just hearing all this, man. <laughs> I'm actually having tears coming down my eyes right now just hearing all these stories because it's reminding me so much of my childhood. Oh, my God. It, oh, okay. 
Come on, fight it, George, fight it. Uh, Bruce, you're, I think you're next on this on this topic. Yeah, m- mine takes me back more to when I was trying to break in the business, you know, and it was a kayfabe error, and I had no family or anybody in the business, so mine was based on basically trust, respecting the business, and love the business. And I remember Dusty telling me, you know, I know you love the business, you're, but you have to respect the business. And he says, remember, the business will bring out the absolute worst in you and the absolute best. So be careful, you know, and it will. I mean, trust me, you know, I've, I've had a marriage or two to remember, you know. Um, but um, Dusty was more about, you know, he loved that business. And, yeah, again, you have to remember, you know, I often think that uh, I was talking to Rocky Johnson one day and said, what is it that's so different? And he And he basically said that, you know, back then we made a living out of the business, you know, so – that was the issue, you know, that a lot of people don't get today. But if you had to do it back then, that's what you had to do. You had to love the business. You had to respect the business because at one phone call, they could blackball you and you'd never work again. You know, um, it was serious business. It was protected. Guys didn't eat in the same restaurants. They went waited for cars to pull away at gas stations and stuff. So the fact that Dusty, you know, I mean, when he told me, you know, because I'm this young kid thinking everything's going to be great, you know, and everything like that, and he told me this business will bring out the absolute best and worst in you. Be careful what it does to you. And um, he's true, you know, you have to be careful with any amount of success. Things go to people's head. People become someone they're not, you know. And I think Howard, Paul, anybody that's involved in wrestling can tell you, you can get wrapped up and think you're more than what you are. And it's a very fine and dangerous line. This is quite true. Hey, Bruce, you dropped something. Yes. What I dropped? Another name. <laughs> Hey, I was just trying to lighten things up here, man. It's getting very deep. George, can I tell this one? I, this, this guy is, I think, on the phone. To tell you the type of river Dusty was, there's a guy named Dan Masters <laughs> that worked for Dusty forever and a day. And I met Dan through Dusty. Dan was a ring announcer with us at Ring Warriors, and he's a ring announcer out there at uh, um, the, the new version of WoW Wrestling. Uh, in California. He's, he's been everywhere. Well, this is a friend of Dusty's, but every year Dan gets his way into the backstage WrestleMania party, and Dusty would have security throw him out. And that's the type of river Dan was. And Dan would have to find a way to get back <laughs> in. I mean, that's the way. I mean, Dusty just ripped like that. And, and he had a good time in life. And most people will tell you when they, when they talked with Dusty and they were with Dusty, he always had a smile on. Well, <laughs> I remember Mr. Masters. I actually been at some Ring Warrior shows where I've had the honor of listening to Mr. Masters uh ring announce for some of your great events, Paul and and Howard and Bruce, of course. Uh you know, that was one hell of a professional, you know, it both in and out of the ring. He was one of the most professional announcers I've ever met in the business. You know, and, and I, I really hope the best for him because I haven't seen him in quite a while, at least down here in South Florida. But um, I'm going to – Go ahead. I'll tell you something funny about Dan. Dusty, um, Dusty had me come down from Charlotte, had me drive from uh, – flew me down from uh, Charlotte to Orlando to meet Dixie Carter. 
and he had Dan um, drive up from or drive down from Atlanta to meet Dixie on the same night. So, and and of course I knew Dan because I knew Dan when he working for Dusty. And you know now this is Dusty getting ready to introduce me to Dixie, you know, for this potential job I was telling you about. So I'm in a brand. Mm-hmm. You know, I went out and bought like a four hundred dollar suit. It was a brand new suit. It was like tailor made. I was like. Uh, and it was looking re- really good. And I guess Dan went out and bought a brand new suit also for the for the thing. And I remember I'm, uh, Dan and I were sitting there, and, and I'll drop a name here, and we're talking to Chris Candido. And uh, Dusty comes along, and he stops, and he looks at me and Dan, and he says, he goes, I want to know one thing between the two of you. And he's like, yeah. He goes, which one of you has a shinier suit? Because <laughs> the, the suits were the material on them, like, listen, right? And that was just that was just Dusty kind of like breaking a little bit of the tension. He knew we were he knew we were going to be nervous, and you know because it was a big night for us. It was a it was a pay per view for him. Uh, actually, I will never forget uh, this night. Actually, I'll, I'll tell you one other quick story here. So the pay per view ends, and it was a it was really a great pay per view. And Dusty comes out, and there's about three or four people sitting around. Um, nobody really of or, or utterly importance. And he says to me, he goes, he goes, he goes well, what did you think of the pay-per-view? I said, yeah, it was good, just like that. He goes, yeah, yeah, it was all right. You know, it was okay. And he just looks at me. He doesn't say a word. And he walks away. Later on, we're by ourselves. He goes, what the fuck is with you? I go, what? He goes, next time I ask you how a pay-per-view is with people in front, whether you like it or you don't like it, you tell me how much, I, how much you loved it. But <laughs> he's getting on my shit, right? Because he, you know, he flies me down. It's an important night, you know, to, to show some respect. Okay, so now afterwards, we go down to one of his, you know, one of his. Uh, it was one of the restaurants at, um, I don't know, if it was Disney or where the heck it was, but it was Paul. It was Bruno and Tilly. It was uh, Ray Lloyd Glacier, and myself with Dusty. And he's asking everybody around mm-hmm. the table, how do you like the pay-per-view? Everybody going, yeah, it was good. It was great. And so now he gets to me. He goes, how was it? I go, the best pay-per-view I think I've ever seen in the last five years. <laughs> and, he says, and, he, and he has this big smile on his face. He goes, yeah, baby. It was just like that. And I knew that's what he wanted. And, that, and it was kind of like that prime. But that's, that's kind of how Dusty was. Uh, look, I, I got another really funny story to tell. Uh, this is the Howard Brody hour, everybody. I'm Go not, ahead. I'm, I'm, no, but, hey, listen, this has nothing. This has nothing to do with, with, uh, with inviting, with not inviting people to barbecues, Bruce. But um, oh boy, he just took a dagger but, at me. That's a good one. But, 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 but no, but this is actually a great story because it shows you how much Dusty is respected. One of the last times I actually saw Dusty live was um, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, it was at one of Greg Price's NWA Legends conventions. And uh, Ox Baker was there, and Ox Baker was selling a cookbook, of all things. It was Ox Baker's cookbook. (laughs) And I pick up the thing. I pick up the thing, and I'm, like, looking through it. And I look at Ox Baker, and I know Ox. I, I know him for, like, 20 years. And I said to him, I go, Ox, I said, there's no oxtail soup in this book. I think it's a funny. I think it's pretty funny, right? Completely no, <laughs> completely like stone face. 
Is he going to buy a copy or not? That was his yeah. Yeah. Okay, here's the $5. I'll buy your freaking cookbook. So I'm, now sitting, at the table. I'm sitting at the table with, with, with waiting for Dusty to get to the convention. Uh, I'm actually manning the table with all Dusty's books. Dusty shows up. He goes, what the hell is that? I says, Ox Baker's cookbook. He goes, Ox Baker wrote a cookbook. I go, yeah, Ox Baker wrote a cookbook. He goes, get out of here. I said, no. I, so, he says, so Dusty looks at me and goes, does he have oxtail stew in there? I go, Dusty? I said, the same thing I said, and the answer is no. I said, he completely no sells. He goes, let me show you. So Dusty says, he goes, let me show you the difference. He grabs my book, and he goes, come with me. And we walk Ox figures. And, of course, Ox sees him, and he's got a big smile. Oh, Dusty, how are you? Blah, 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 right? And he says, uh, he goes, hey, Ox. He goes, my buddy here bought your cookbook. He goes, yeah, yeah. He goes, oh, original recipes. He goes, he goes, yeah, but you don't have oxtail, oxtail stew in there. And Ox Baker's like, oh, that is the funniest thing. Oh, <laughs> oversells it to the point of nausea. That's how much respect Dusty got from people, because people knew when the boss thinks you laugh along. If the stooge thinks something's funny, you know, sell it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the barbecue story between Howard and me goes back for like 30 or 40 years where I forgot to invite Howard to my house when the wrestlers were there for barbecue. And for over 40 years, I have continued to promise him barbecue, and it still hasn't occurred. But that that's the real story, and, and that was a good touche, Howard. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's always been, a, it's been an ongoing thing. Actually, if these days, if he would invite me, I'd probably purposely not go just to keep the rip going. <laughs> well, guys, I have a, I have a surprise for you, gentlemen, for all three of you, gentlemen, because we were just talking about him a second ago, and he's been on hold for quite a while, and now we finally have an opportunity. Let's go ahead and open up the lines to the one and the only, the true professional ring announcing, Dan Masters. Dan, are you there? Oh, wow. I'll send you a check. Hey, listen, the reason they didn't put me on earlier, guys, I gave an alias. I said it was Danny V on hold. The <laughs> illegitimate road. I can hear Dusty now, wherever he is, saying you're not a road. <laughs> Thank you guys for sharing the memories. And by the way, Paul Jones and I do this on a weekly basis. If anyone wants to join us on our three-way calls. Uh, but this is a great night, guys. I've enjoyed it. Hey, thank you so very much, Mr. Masters. I don't think I'm the only one in existence uh, that's ever, but maybe out of this group, been arrested out of the back of his pickup truck. So if we ever do this show again, I'll come on early and we'll talk about that. I would love it. Will do. sounds great. Yeah. Thank you very much, Mr. Masters. That's for sure. You guys have a great night. And uh, Paul Jones, I'll see you at the bar. You got it, Danny. (laughs) Danny V. Yep, good good old Danny V. I love it. Hey, (laughs) well, mind you, you can't blame me, though, guys. Uh, You know, we had some prank callers in this show before, and and I just have to be careful with what we put on here. So, But uh, basically, thank you very much, though, sincerely. 
thank you from the bottom of my heart, Mr. Masters, for even taking time, uh, in this case, 30 minutes of your time, uh, to call in and wait for your cue. Uh, I appreciate it, and thank you very much for giving us your opinion on the great Dusty Rhodes and giving us your thumbs up when it comes to the show. Now, my closing statements, guys, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to end today's episode uh, uh, strong here, but be- like, before we do, Let's end it. Let's also do something one last time. One fun little thing, which Christine, this was Christina's idea. So all credit goes to her. Guys, I have to put you on the spot. Howard, you could go first. Hey, give us your best Dusty Rhodes impersonation. I don't do a Dusty impersonation. The best Dusty Rhodes impersonation comes from one of my business partners, Larry Brannon, who actually sounds like Dusty. To, to the point of where he, um, we used to have a guy by the name of um, David Beck to work for And David Beck got really ill, and Dusty was supposed to call him. And D- Dusty couldn't call him. So Larry actually called as, and he did this twice. Actually, Bruce actually called one Maybe time. I did it. Maybe I did it for little David Boy. I did it for him. <laughs> but I don't do it. I don't do it. <laughs> I don't do that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, so, uh, all right. So, Judge, this is Paul. I, I do an absolutely horrible one, but let me give you a little story about Bruce Willie, uh, Bruce Owens. Yeah, <laughs> we had a guy that, us that was uh, dying. He was, he was an ultra fan, and he kept telling me all the time, "Hey, I, I need to take Dusty to dinner. I need to take Dusty here. I need to take." I go, "Look, he doesn't do that." You know, I mean. Um, so I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to have him call you up and have a conversation with you. So I called Bruce. Yeah, but he was dying then. He was dying. Yeah, he was dying at the time. Yeah, the, yeah, tell the truth. The guy was dying. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was having a rough time at it. And his dream was to have Dusty call him. So I called Brucey. I said, Brucey, hey, his, he, Bruce says, give me a couple, give me a couple of uh, things about this guy. So I give Brucey a couple things about the guy. And Brucey called that guy and with his Dusty impersonation and brought that guy to, he was on cloud nine. He called me up out. I just had a great conversation with the American dream. I go, there you go, David. That's, that's a way to make it work. So Bruce, you ought to do the impersonation. Yeah, baby. I just, I just little David bought dime. Don't feel bad, baby. You're going to make it pull out of it. Says, I can make that hot tag get it. And you take it, you take it for big D. Yeah, so yeah, the guy died about I guess a month later, but you know, hey, in, in all sincerity, you know, his, his dream came true. You know, and Paul called to tell me like, hey, um, this guy just got everything he wanted, you know. And if the dream knew that I did it, you know, he would have endorsed it just the fact that I made someone's dream come true. You know what I mean? And it wasn't me, it was Dusty, but you know, the kid was beyond himself and and in all due respect, it, we, we didn't do it as a rib. We did it to fulfill his dream. Yep. And uh, so then with the closing statements, uh, before you guys go, uh, we did an amazing job. And, again, to all three of you gentlemen, thank you so very much for sharing these exclusive stories of and, and celebrating Dusty's life. You know, there there's so many people out there that rather focus on negativity, whether it's on someone's, uh, you know, that's living or someone who's passed away here on reality check radio. We only want to focus on the positives and, and the positives that these people have left on us as people. And, you know, you guys shared some stories that made us cry, made us laugh made us, you know, feel alive inside again. And, and I thank you very much for sharing those stories. 
So on a closing statement, uh, Howard, you could start with this, if you because of course maybe you, you uh, you've heard uh, many story, uh, you know maybe the roads will one day uh, hear this uh, show or maybe they're currently hearing it now. Uh, what would you have to say uh, if Dusty was right in front of you again? What would you say to uh, Dusty right now? If Dusty was in front of me right now, wow. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for everything you've done for me. And I love you. From my heart. True. All right, Paul. I, I think I would say thank you for making me a better person and teaching me more about family than I ever could have thought someone could teach me. Um, there is no question that, that Dusty's family was the most important thing that fueled him and that fuel then led into the wrestling business and his creativity and, and the contribution that he made. Awesome. And Bruce, uh, your final closing statements, your final words to yeah. Mr. Dusty Rhodes. You know, my, mine was, mine was different. There, there's guys like the old timers when I see them, guys that were instrumental in my career and stuff. And, Dusty, you know, every time I ever saw Dusty, I said, "Thank you, Dream, for the, for giving me the break." And he always told me, "You don't have you don't have to keep thanking me. When you thanked me when you came in the door and you did your job, and you've you know for 45 years I've still been around, but Dusty was like, you don't have to keep thanking me.' And I told him, I said, I want to. I said because uh, you gave me what nobody else could, and um, that's kind of hard, you know. It's um, like I said is. So as long as I keep going, you know, I enjoy it knowing that um, Dusty was part of it and was my start. I mean, thank you's not enough, but if you knew Dusty and all you did is say thank you, I love you, Dusty, you know, there's nothing else you could say that would be worth more because that's all Dusty wanted from anybody. You know, if he helped you, be thankful. Not not be grateful to him, but to be thankful, you know. And there's a big difference of that. That's that's about him being happy for you. And Dusty was more happy for me than, you know, I was about him. He's like, you know, I gave you the chance and you did a good job. So it would just simply be that I love him and I thank him. And he knows that. And, you know, like I said, fortunately, when I was in Miami for that show, I mean, he paid me back right there on the spot. He says, go get your gear and referee the main event. You know, so... You know, that's that's what he thought of me 40 years later. So um, words can't describe uh, if you really know the dream. So we just have to keep it kind of personal. I think all three guys will feel that way. Well, then, with those closing statements, uh, you know, I thank all three of you again, and we close it off in the memory of the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. Guys, if there's one thing, if there's one thing that you could say that this world 
will always miss in the world of professional wrestling is the enthusiasm that the American Dream brought to you every day he worked in that ring for you, the fans. There's no one like it. There's no one can, that can match up to it. And I have to say thank you very much from the bottom of my heart to Mr. Bruce Owens, to Mr. Howard Brody, and Mr. Paul Jones for coming on this show to share some of the most exclusive stories in Dusty's life and, of course, career and, and celebrating the life of the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. Uh, with that being said, I, those are my closing statements. Christina, do you have any last words? Uh, yeah, I'll just, you know, the legacy of Dusty, you know, it's tried and true. Like, you know, his words of wisdom are going to be passed on to, to future generations to come in this business. Like, the advice he had and the insight he had in this business is so valuable to not only, you know, the wrestlers in the business, but to fans as well and how we approach and appreciate this business. It, it really starts with Dusty, and this show has, you know, made me, like, tear up a little bit, even though, like, I'm not the proudest to admit of me crying, but, you know, just it, it goes to show how much Dusty affected the lives of the people around him, and just to be able to have this show and to to hear these stories from people that knew him the best was is definitely, like, an invaluable experience. And and I thank uh, all three of the men and you, George, and you, Rick, for, you know, having this show to, you know, give a platform for these men to tell their stories about Dusty. Yep. And it, let me tell you something. I, I'm not going to lie to you guys. Like, halfway through half of those stories, I was on, in tears in here in public because, again, as we all know, our studio is under construction. I am live out of a Starbucks. Uh, if you hear any background noise, that's probably why. Uh, but literally people were watching me here cry while over the phone. For all I know, people were thinking I was arguing with, with, uh, with a family member, for all I know. But, no, it, it's, it's tears for memories. It's tears for a person that has affected me so positive. You know, in in a wrestling business that I grew up loving as a fan, and there's no one like it, no one like it. So if I'm feeling this way, imagine how it feels to be within that posse, within that group of Dusty's friends, like the Paul Jones, like the Howard Brodies and the Bruce Owens, how they feel when it comes to celebrating the life of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes. So basically. <clears throat> Look at that. I'm even choking up right now again. So, Rick, any last words on your part? Wow. I mean, it was just an incredible show. Uh, just to be able to rethink uh, the night that little CM Punk got to meet Dusty Rhodes for the very first time outside of that show and how just how gracious he was for the few minutes. It, it might have been two or three minutes at the most. It was just a, a great memory, and I'm so happy that he was able to, to meet uh, – one of the most legendary performers that this business will probably ever know. Yep. 
And guys, I just got word on who our next tribute will be for. I will leave that uh, that announcement in just for one more second because, again, I, I want them to know this. And I don't care who's the one that does the, the message. You know, I'll personally message them themselves. But if you're talking to them right now and you're listening to this at the same time, please send a huge thank you to Mr. Howard Brody, Mr. Paul Jones, and, of course, Mr. Bruce Owens for sharing these stories here tonight. It was a amazing honor to hear these stories. These are stories that are not heard anywhere when it, com- when it, when it comes to Dusty. But again, thank you for everything. Thank you, Dusty. We all love you as a fan. And, uh, yeah. You think it's coming, man? Working hard with his hands. And he's a man. Wicked dream. God, I love that song. Are you are you guys dancing like I am? Are you guys dancing like I am right now? <laughs> yeah. Okay, that is, yes. <laughs> oh. Well, our C- other COO, Lorraine, has just called in. I think she wants to share a, a Dusty Rhodes memory as well. But uh, let I'm going to announce our next tribute episode right after Lorraine. So let's open up the line here real quick. Lorraine, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hey, Lorraine, uh, did you have any memories about Dusty Rhodes that you wanted to share? I just basically wanted to say, you know, watching him while I was growing up, you know, when when things were really hard at home, he actually brought joy and laughter and happiness to my life. So, you know, through me being a fan, he really meant a lot to me growing up. Yeah, and 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 I have to vouch for that, too. Uh-huh. And I was also dancing along with you, George. <laughs> <laughs> you, can you really help yourself when it comes to no. that? No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> you can't help yourself but dance to that song. It, it's impossible. <laughs> it, it's like a it's like a disease. Like once you hear it, you you have no choice but to start dancing. <laughs> so, so guys, Lorraine, I'm glad that you called in because I wanted you to be part of this announcement because let's just see whether it happens this year or next year. Personally, I want it to be a once-a-year thing, but shoot, if the fans request it heavily, then we have no choice but to do it this year also. The next tribute show is for none other than a legend and a person who affected a lot of people's lives in the wrestling business. Should we give them a, a song, or should we give them the announcement, Rick? What, what do you think? 
unmute your mic. Okay, he's having. Let's announce it out. Let's see what okay. we got. Who we got? Okay, so the next tribute is gonna go to none other, none other than the man himself, the flamboyant, the one also ever man of the ring. I am talking about the Macho Man, Randy Savage, will be our next tribute episode here on Reality Check Radio with none other than special guest interview, his brother, the genius, Lanny Poffo. Are you ready for that one? I'm ready. Yep, you heard it right here, folks. Again, I don't, I'm not saying that the WWE is blocking stories or not, but we're about to hear stories of Randy Savage that are not available to the public by the genius himself, Lanny Poffo. That's huge. Yep. I, I, can someone grab Christina's jaw off the floor? She, she's over here looking at me like, did you just say what I think you said? <laughs> Can someone get some freaking forklifts? I'm over here kind of speechless. I'm like, I'm I'm like kind of basking in it, like still absorbing it. (laughs) You should see Christina's face right now. I'm in front of her and she's, her her mouth is on the floor. Why do you think she hasn't talked? (laughs) Well, I mean, George, come on. You're dropping this bombshell on me the same time as everyone else. You're kind of giving me a little bit of warning. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, again, this is a guy that probably has affected us just as much as Dusty Rhodes did in the world of professional wrestling. And look at this. Let, let's just say this. I'm not saying that, you know, it's going to happen or it's not going to happen because, shoot, look at what happened today. With Dusty Rhodes' tribute, we had the surprise call-in by the, the professional ring announcer, Dan Masters. You know how many people Macho Man has affected in this business? Who knows who might call in during that one? No doubt. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You never know. I, I'm just throwing this out there, okay, guys? Don't, 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 uh, don't put, you know, put a gun to my head and say, this better happen now that you mentioned it. But you never know. Maybe we could even get the hoaxer to call in on that episode. You right. just never know what might happen on, huh? Yeah, stranger things that happen. You never know. Exactly. Exactly. So the Macho Man Randy Savage tribute episode is coming to Reality Check Radio, whether it be this year or next year, with special guest, the genius, Lanny Poffo. Guys, I, I'm about done here. Um, Rick, you have any final say? Uh, I thought this was just fantastic. Uh, great job, everybody. Thank you again, uh, Bruce Owens, Howard Brody, Paul Jones, for the time. The stories were phenomenal, and uh, wow, just wow. All right, Christina? Yeah, I agree with Rick. I mean, this has been such an emotional episode, and then, you know, to top it all off with that bombshell of an announcement, I mean, it's it's crazy. It's crazy to think that everything that's just happened in the past, what, two hours? Mm-hmm. Who's, who says that you should not believe in reality check radio, huh? 
<laughs> when we're doing nothing but good things for the world of professional wrestling. And Lorraine, any last words? I just, excuse me, sorry, I'm still reeling over here. Um, just I want to thank thank the guys for coming on. Um, thank thank the team. You did awesome. Thank the listeners. Without them and our guests, we wouldn't be here. All right. So for everyone here on Reality Check Radio Special Edition Dusty Rhodes Tribute, again, thank you for everyone who's tuned in to celebrate the life of the American dream. But for everyone here on Reality Check, I want to say good night, take care of yourselves, and also, most important of all, stay real, folks. Good night. Thank you all for joining us. Remember to come back next Monday at 6 p.m. right here on Block Talk Radio and get your dose of reality check.